you. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You may be seated. Even baseball players look at other baseball players that they admire, and they set as a paradigm for that they w- the way they want to be on the field. So if baseball players do that, investment bankers do that, why wouldn't rabbis do that? We do. And when I'm making a short list of the rabbis that I look to admire, that I look for guidance, rabbis, rabbis, one of the people on that list is a rabbi by the name of Haskell Lukstein, who is the rabbi at Kilat Jeshurun, affectionately known as KJ, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Rabbi Lukstein is a descendant in a rabbinic dynasty. His parent, grandfather, great-grandfather, and so on were all rabbis. And he has continued in this dynasty, and especially in the synagogue. To me, what makes Rabbi Lukstein so amazing is not because he gives the best sermons, although he's a great darshan, and it's not because the way he interprets a particular piece of law in a stringent fashion or in a relaxed fashion, which sometimes he does for both. But it's because Rabbi Lukstein is so real. He's a regular person. He struggles with what we struggle with. He overcomes what we can overcome with. And he inspires us. And for me, as a rabbi, I have to remind myself, as other rabbis and other people do, of the realness in our life, of the challenges in which we face, and how we overcome them. I don't think he meant to. He was just being himself. But Rabbi Lukstein gave me a lesson just a few weeks ago that has been incredibly potent. And the lesson was that Rabbi Lukstein screwed up, and he admitted it. On September 3rd, there was an incident in Manhattan where a group that was pro-Palestinian encountered a pro-Israel group. The Palestinian group had signs and flags on their car, and the Israeli group saw those signs and flags, and a lot of hearsay and altercation broke out, first by words, then by shoving, and then by punching. And the Jewish people lost the fight. They were hurt pretty significantly, and they were outnumbered. When news of this hit Manhattan, which where this incident took place, Rabbi Lukstein, who also wears the yarmulke, not only being the rabbi at Kilat Jeshurun, but also being the head of school at Ramaz, which is an f- incredible school that not only gives a Jewish education, but a top-shelf Jewish education, to kids who seek it. It is on par with so many other schools in Manhattan to the likes of Horace Mann and Dalton and similarly. Rabbi Lukstein was worried because he knows what we all know, that the new year we're about to enter into, please God, is a very different one than the one that we had last year. As a matter of fact, I would say October and September have been wildly different months than the months we left in May. And like many of you, Rabbi Lukstein is worried about the world climate. So Rabbi Lukstein, as the head of school, realizing he has so many young high school kids, especially boys, at his school who walk around Manhattan wearing yarmulkes, and many of them with their tzitzit, with their fringes out of their clothes, 
He was worried how obvious and visible they would be, and he didn't want any of them to be subject to attack. So Rabbi Lukstein put out a statement where he said, I would like all of the male students at our school to consider wearing baseball caps and to tuck in their fringes, their tzitzit, so that they're not visible when they come to school out of fear for their own safety. And he sent this message out to his community. Less than 48 hours later, Rabbi Lukstein sent out another communication. And he said, wait, stop, ignore what I said. It was a big mistake. I've spent time thinking about it. And I think if we walk around with baseball caps on and we tuck in our fringes just out of fear, not because of the style of the baseball cap or we're more comfortable with it, but just for the fear component, then terror has won and we have lost. And I don't want terror to win, so I'm encouraging all of you to disregard what I thought about because I've rethought it and I think this is the best approach. Now, I'm blessed to know Rabbi Lukstein pretty well, not as well as others, but I know him pretty well. And I don't know this to be fact, but I'm pretty sure that Rabbi Lukstein came to that decision on his own. It wasn't because the board came to him and stomped their feet. If anything, I imagine most boards, when it comes to issues of their children, they would have sided on the clear and worrisome side of safety for their child. I think Rabbi Lukstein just davened over it. I think he spent time contemplating it and thinking about it. And after he did, he realized that what he first said was wrong. And he started off his retraction and telling people that they should wear a yarmulke freely if that's the way they want to be, whether they're in 11th grade or whether they're 44 years old, by saying, stop, I made a mistake. To me, as a rabbi, and also if you're not a rabbi, what lesson from one of the world's most admired rabbis in modernity could be more potent than that person's ability to get up and say, I just made a mistake. I didn't think about other ramifications of it. And what a perfect timing in the month of Elul to share that mistake. I don't want to talk today about Ray Rice. Ray Rice did a terrible thing in punching his then fiance, his now wife, Janae, in a public elevator in Atlantic City. And there is a lot to talk about. It's clearly wrong. There's nothing that can condone such behavior ever. But I want to talk about the commissioner of the NFL for a second, Roger Goodell. And I just want to talk about one specific thing. And I realize that by talking about Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, it could open up a Pandora's box of, but what about this and what about that? It's true, and it's fair. I just want to focus on one piece of Roger Goodell, a piece that he actually said twice, once about 10 days ago, and another one conveniently in time for this sermon yesterday. <laughs> Roger Goodell said at a press conference that he made a big mistake in the way in which he handled the Ray Rice incident on behalf of the NFL, on behalf of how it was going to treat members, players in the NFL, who were in violation of domestic and spousal abuse. He just said it that simply. He said, I made a mistake. I misplayed it. 
I didn't judge it correctly. He said it even more powerfully before he met with the host of what obviously were PR agents helping in crafting his message 10 days ago when he got up and said, we need to rethink our policy. I got it wrong. Now, Roger Dell is the head of a $9 billion industry in the NFL. He's got hundreds upon hundreds of players and 32 owners that he's accountable for and a lot of livelihoods. And I've met a lot of CEOs who, even when they're wrong, will tell you they're right, because by saying they're wrong, it makes them vulnerable. But I give Roger Goodell credit for this, and I'm focusing only on this for now, that he had the courage and wherewithal as a leader to stand up and to say, I got it wrong. Here's a guy that we look to, whether it's how we're going to judge interferences or how many points the football score is going to be or where we're going to move the field goal or extra point back from. And we put all of this on his shoulders. And he's telling us, I got it wrong. I'm imperfect. Don't put me on such a high standard. Now, I, don't, I know for a fact Roger Goodell's not Jewish, and I don't think he was doing this this time of year because of the notion of tshuva. But I think all of us live with the notion of tshuva. And it's not limited to time. Tshuva, this idea of repentance that happens on Rosh Hashanah, is a fascinating component. Because while we all get on the bus of tshuva that comes on Rosh Hashanah through Yom Kippur, the irony is we don't have to get on the bus then. The bus is moving and stopping in front of us 365 days a year. That if we do something wrong to our spouse, to our kids, to our friends, to our coworkers, we can fix it whenever it happens. A wrong that happens in May doesn't have to be fixed in September. It can be fixed in May. And I think what's interesting is that it reminds us that while it might coincide beautifully with our Jewish New Year and seeking forgiveness for wrong in which we've done, that when we do something wrong, we can admit it at the moment so that we don't have such a full and long roster transgressions and sins come Rosh Hashanah. I'll give you one other quick example of which I don't want to go into much detail on. But just recently, President Obama was interviewed for Meet the Press with its new host, Chuck Todd. And he was asked questions about what things he would redo in the past six months, as he's been grilled for the way in which he's handled so many different issues, including foreign policy. And one thing that I give the president significant credit for is he said, I totally played, I don't think he used the word played, but he said, I, I totally handled the press conference about the beheading Mr. Foley inappropriately, and that it was wrong for me to have gone and played golf even on my vacation afterwards because the optics were wrong, the lesson was wrong, and it was hurtful to his family. He was an American, and I should have found another time for my recreation or another way to enjoy my vacation that would have been more appropriate. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. But here's the President of the United States. Some like him, some don't. Some are in favor of him, some don't. And that summarizes my feelings on him in one sentence. There are times where I think he's great and times where I don't. But still, with the title of the President of the United States, he didn't hesitate for a minute to say, 
I handled that wrong. That was a mistake. I would love to have a do-over on that one. What a fantastic lesson. Whether you're a rabbi of one of the largest Orthodox synagogues in the world and respected by colleagues of all stripes and denominations, whether you are the commissioner of the most popular sport in the history of humanity, or whether you're the president of the United States, that we all have the ability to say, whoops, to say, I'm sorry, say, I played it wrong, I handled it wrong, I didn't do what I needed to do. I got one more example for all of you, but it doesn't fit into the paradigm that I've just shared. Yesterday afternoon at 3 o'clock, I sat in a room with four other leaders of the Jewish community, including the head of New York's Federation, which is the largest federation in the world, the head of the Jewish Community Relations Council, the head of the Conference of Presidents of Major Jewish Organizations, the executive director of the New York Board of Rabbis, and we sat with the executive director of the Metropolitan Opera, a gentleman by the name of Peter Gelb. Peter Gelb is Jewish, and Peter Gelb was meeting with us over our intense dismay at his decision to show an opera that will begin in October and run for three weeks called The Death of Klinghoffer. Now, the libretto of this opera was written by an avowed anti-Semite by the name of Alice Goodman, who was Jewish but converted to Christianity because of her disdain for Judaism. There are lines and pieces within the lyrics of this opera that celebrate the true story that happened in 1985. The terrorists who were Palestinian, who hijacked the Achille Loro, a cruise ship in the Mediterranean, and upon negotiation of their release, decided to summarily shoot Leon Klinghoffer, a Jew, bound to a wheelchair in the back of the head, and to throw him in his wheelchair overboard. His body washed ashore a few days later. His wheelchair was never recovered. His wife, Marilyn, died six months later of cancer. But his children say that she died of a broken heart. This opera does more than retell a moment of history. It really triumphs and celebrates and gives empathy to the hijackers, to those who, on behalf of the Palestinian people, have decided to overtake a cruise ship and who have chosen to murder a Jew who lives in the United States because he's a Jew and drew a nexus between his Judaism and the state of Israel. They never asked once what denomination of Judaism he was. They never asked once what political affiliation he has. They never asked once, are you for the state of Israel or against? Which today, ask Jews and you'll get a very different question. But because he was Jewish, not because he was a Zionist per se, even though he was, he was summarily executed. And this opera celebrates the lens of the terrorist and not the victim. In fact, the poster outside the Met is a giant picture of a terrorist holding a gun in blue jeans and Leon Klinghoffer on the edge of a ship, clearly a ship with its railings, and the gun being pointed toward his head as he sat in a wheelchair. We met with Mr. Gelb 
in a very calm and peaceful way for two reasons. One, on Monday, people are planning a permit-based, large demonstration to protest the Met's decision to show this opera. This is going to have a host, a host of different political figures there, some on the far right and some on the far left. To illustrate that, Jerry Nadler is a Democrat in that district, very left-leaning Democrat. Ted Cruz is a senator, Florida, a Texas rather, very right-winging. The two of them will both be there with a host of other political leaders and celebrities and what they're expecting to be thousands of people to protest this opera and the opening of the Met, which begins on Monday. We met with Mr. Gelb to talk in detail about why this could be inflammatory to the community, why we think it gives bad messaging to celebrate a terrorist and that could inspire other terrorists, and why we think that this opera is a terrible opera to demonstrate in the world's largest Jewish populated city outside of Israel, and even more so in the political climate in which we're living where an opera talks about the shooting of a man in the back of the head for his religion, and at the same time, we have declared war on a group called ISIS, which beheads people for their religion or their political affiliation or from their nation of origin. Anti-Semitism has been marked on the rise in every country throughout the world that keeps this data in the last three months, including New York City. And we met with Mr. Gelb, and we said to him, we want you to rethink seriously the implications of what's happening and ways to mitigate this choice. Malcolm Holmline, the president of the Conference of Major Jewish Organizations, asked him a thoughtful question. He said, Mr. Gelb, if you had the ability to turn back time, knowing then what you know now, would you still put the opera on the docket for the coming season. And Mr. Gelb said, honestly, and I give him credit, no. I wouldn't do that because knowing what a firestorm has ensued and how much time this has detracted from my work, I wouldn't do it. So then we pivoted to Mr. Gelb and said, so here we are today. Would you cancel the opera? To which he replied, I believe this is the greatest opera to come out in the last 25 years. I believe it is an expression of art, and I believe it's in the best interests of the Met to show this opera, and under no circumstances will I cancel it, which seemed to be to be quite incongruous, was his previous statement. My point in there is, here's a man who says, if I could turn back time and know then what I know now, I wouldn't make the opera happen on the docket. But today, before the opera is supposed to start, and it's not starting in 24 hours, it's starting in October. It starts October 21st. He says, no, I'm standing by my, by my decision, even if it were a mistake. Juxtapose that approach. Juxtapose that approach to the approach of Rabbi Luxtein, to the approach of Roger Goodell, to the approach of President Obama in these circumstances where someone at the highest levels of leadership are able to be vulnerable, and that's the operative word, 
vulnerable because they pause for a minute and they say, I got it wrong. And while my title might be impressive, and by my office might be shiny, and while my salary might be fat, I still make mistakes. And I have to recognize that, even if there are repercussions for my mistakes. Because in the case of Haskell Lookstein, that's exactly what happened. In the case of Roger Goodell, that is exactly what happened. In the case of President Obama, in this circumstance, that is exactly what happened. And here, with Mr. Gelb, I believe in my heart that he believes that this opera is artistic and that we have artistic rights, but at the same time, he believes it should go forward to celebrate that because admitting defeat would be a crime. I passionately disagree. And I think the lesson that I hope he and others and all of us, myself included, can learn is that regardless of who you are, what your status is, and what your title is in life, and what your W-2 says, all of us can say we made mistakes. All of us can fix those mistakes. And whether you're of the Jewish faith or the non-Jewish faith, humanity affords us that. But Judaism gives us this brilliant and beautiful portal called tshuva, called repentance. It starts the month of Elul. It goes through for 40 days to Yom Kippur. And it gives us all a chance to start again. But we can't start again until we can first acknowledge that wrong. That's the beginning of the process. If you can't acknowledge the wrong, you can't move forward. This is the time and the season. You can't only walk into Rosh Hashanah and start acknowledging the wrong. It starts every day and especially now. My blessing to all of us on this last Shabbat of the year 5,774 is that we get inspired by the courage of our leaders who can say, I made mistakes, who can be vulnerable and their vulnerability encourages others to be taller and stronger and wiser because when we're obstinate, when we're defiant, when we don't have the ability to think of its impact on others, as is the case with the Metropolitan Opera, then not only are we unable to do tshuva, but we cause others to sin in the process too. And that is also a crime. May this last new year be one of vulnerability that lifts all of us up. Kenya Hiratso, may that be God's will.